everyone, and welcome to episode five of the You Press Play News Podcast. My name's Natalia. I am the news editor. I'm Jillian. I'm the copy desk chief. Uh, I'm Michael. I'm just a contributing writer. And I'm Neil. I'm also a contributing writer. And on today's list of topics we'll be talking about, we have in-person fall classes, bright futures, Biden DeSantis comments. We also have spring breakers, vaccine announcements, one year of COVID, and Meghan Marco. So I guess we'll start off with the in-person classes. So this past week, FAU announced that they are planning a in-person fall semester. Now, this could change based on the status of COVID and how the vaccine rate is going. But basically, their plan is to have a more traditional method back to what it used to be pre-COVID. Now, we're not sure what this in-person means so far. They were very vague in the email sent out to students. So we're not sure if that means in-person remote, just plain in-person classes. We're not sure about that. So like, I'm glad they want to go back to a traditional method, but I feel like rushing in so fast isn't kind of like a good idea just because I feel like, yes, we're having a national vaccine rollout pretty soon, but I don't think it's a good, like we've been in this situation for the past year. I don't think it's a good idea to just, you know, okay, uh, everybody's having the vaccine, just go back. I don't think that's a good type of situation. I, I'm not, I don't think there's really anything wrong with offering the in-person classes with what we know right now. And I think they were intentionally vague on purpose for that reason. I just mm-hmm. think for, um, for sensitivity's sake, I think the best thing to do would be to have in-person classes, but with remote option for everyone for one more semester, just because I, I don't want anyone to feel like they, you know, that they're forced to go back to class if they're uncomfortable with it or whatever. Um, if I get vaccinated, I would love to go back to class. I'm, I'm really over the computer stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. Um, but uh, so much can change. Look how, look how much has just changed in like a month. We went from, you know, not thinking we'd have enough vaccine until June to now it's May. And then, uh, you know, every, and they got that one dose vaccine now. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think um, as much of a homebody as I am, I would like to start taking classes in person instead of just sitting at my desk all day. Um, And so I'm happy they're doing it, but I I wish that they were doing it so that if you were going to come back to campus, you had to have the vaccine Um, Mm -hmm. because there are new developments in the vaccine, which we'll talk about later. I think I think it just makes sense. We are required to have our shots before school starts anyways. Um, You know, there are certain shots that we just have to get. And I don't think that it would be unreasonable to add the COVID vaccine to the list and then still have the remote option for either people who couldn't get it in time or um, just didn't want it at this point. So I think that would be probably one of the better ways to go about it. I think like, yeah, I want to go back to in-person for like one of my classes, but I feel like having the option of a remote option for classes just for another semester, I think that'll do a very, I think it'll be a great thing for students who aren't as comfortable yet to go back to in-person because like, do I want to go back to in-person before I graduate? Yeah, but do I want to rush it? No. 
Yeah, I mean, I would also want to see that they're taking more serious safety measures because when I read their initial COVID plan um, for having people in person the way that they do now, they were only really scheduled to clean the classrooms about once a day or once every like few classes. So that's still like a, you know, a decent number of people walking in and out of those rooms between uh, sanitizations. So I would really want to see that something is done about that as well. That would make me much more comfortable. I think that, um, I think that, you know, I know that there's still people that are probably uncomfortable, um, but I think at some point they do need to just make it happen. Uh, I, as far as whether it's too early or too late, I'm not a professional, so I'm not, you know, I can't make that claim. Um, I think it's time. I, I think it's time to just, you know, make you take that extra step. I agree with Jillian. I think it would be great if they could make it so that people have to be vaccinated before they come on campus. However, um, I think that at that point, it would be a, uh, a dilemma as far as um, rights. As We can't say that people don't have to rub the right to come on campus if they don't have the vaccine, because then it comes to a whole human rights issue. Um, as far as who can and who can't. Um, so that would be a whole different ordeal. Um, but I think if people stay safe, um, I did hear through, uh, I'm very involved with the National Association of Social Workers and have been as a student. Um, somewhere during a, a board meeting or a some sort of committee meeting or somewhere, um, someone told me that the schools can't afford to keep doing um, the distance education and that, you know, they need the money on back on campus. And that could be a reason why they're rushing it is because they need, you know, the monies from, you know, the vendors on campus and students on campus, you know, they need that money back in the university, which could be true. And I, I hope that's not why they're rushing it, but it could be. Um, but personally, I, I think it's time, um, but, but I've been ready for a while. So I, I just think that as long as everyone does it safely and does what they're supposed to do and get checked for COVID, minds are six feet and is responsible and we could be okay. So our managing editor, Kendall Little, wrote an article about a bill called SB 86, which was introduced by the Republican state senator, Dennis Baxley of Lady Lake, uh, who, by the way, does not have a history in education or experience in education. Um, so his proposed bill asked for the Florida Board of Education and the Board of Governors to compile a list of college majors that lead directly to employment. Um, the bill was temporarily stalled due to public pressure, uh, but they are going to, the board is going to hear the case for the bill on Tuesday, March 16th. The Florida Senate's Education Committee will hear the bill, um, and if the bill passes, students whose majors do not fall on the approved list by the board will only receive half the funding that other students will. So if a student chooses a major on the list, 
you know, they get 120 credits covered by Bright Futures. So that's basically about four years, give or take. Um, and if they don't, only 60 credits are covered. So that's about two years of classes. If the bill passes, it'll go into effect for the 2022 and the 2023 school year. So even if, you know, you're a junior and you've already meet your 60 credit cap, I believe that you would no longer get any funding, even if you started your college experience under the premise of you would get the full funding. What Kendall also points out in her article, which is a really great point, is how every single source online has a different idea of which majors lead to jobs. Um, so there's no, it's really hard to pin down what jobs or what degrees lead to jobs. And also there are businesses that even say they have no preference for degree majors, just that they want their candidates to have a degree. Um, so Kendall also makes a point that funding for Bright Futures doesn't even come from taxes. It comes from the Florida lottery. So the taxpayers aren't really affected by the funding that comes from this. So what do you guys think? I think it's kind of a messed up bill. Um, I, I don't necessarily like this whole thing where it's like uh, that, so-and-so major is useless or this is useless uh i remember when i went to my orientation to start college how they had a lady speaker come up and she really was like almost like preaching to us about how we should all be stem majors and i'm thinking to myself if we're all stem majors and <laughs> some of us are not going to get hired you're going to get an influx of too many. Not everyone is built to be an engineer or a doctor or whatever. And I'm not making fun of those majors. That's fine. You know, I think people should pursue their passions. But uh, the, the, the thing that's most people aren't working in their degree field anyway. And, and uh, the degree, like Kendall put in her article, has become a part of um, just an, a barrier to entry to any type of employment, regardless of what it is. Uh, personally, I have a friend Shout out to my friend, Dan. He lives out in California, but he's pretty high up in uh, ADP. They do a lot of the payrolls for most companies in America. And that was an entry-level job when he got it uh, years ago. But now they want a bachelor's degree, any kind. They don't really care. And it, it pays well. It's a good job. Um, so I, I don't think you can really like narrow down a job that's going to lead directly to employment. There's people that have engineering degrees that might wait a year before they get a job. Whereas there's someone that studies history or literature that might get a job at a museum or do something, you know, immediately. I, I think it matters a lot more who you meet, what you do, than, than what, what like name uh, or what science is on the paper that they give you when you graduate. And, and I just think this is cruel to the people that were, were promised a scholarship to change it this way. It's going to lead to some people probably dropping out altogether, which is just terrible. So, because I, I mean, I can afford to go to college without a scholarship, but I realize that I'm, I, not everyone can. I, I think it's just the fact that not all, not all majors, like you don't have to specify in something in order to get a job. Um, basically what Michael said, like not every single person who gets in that field is going to be working with something related to that field. And just the fact that the person who came up with this hasn't been in education in like, I don't know how many years it was. Um, that just doesn't make any sense because yes, like right now before, like before everything happened, you could get like a job without a degree. Now it's like a pre-request. Like you can't get a job, certain jobs without a bachelor's degree. And there's also the fact not all jobs you don't have to be working in a specific major. You can go into biology 
and go do something that's not even related to biology, but that uses that biology component in it. So basically kind of like somebody can go into like urban design, but work with like, you know, work with like the environment and stuff. So I think it's mostly who the people that you meet. I think colleges, so they should focus more on getting students to meet people, getting the experience over what type of major to get. Yeah, the big thing for me is I understand things change and uh, scholarships and programs change. And it's unfortunate that it does, but it's, it's the reality of it. Um, I might not understand why they're changing stuff like that, but I think the most unfortunate thing is that they're changing it in the middle of someone's program because that program may be the reason why someone got to go to school and now they might not be able to finish it because their program of study was taking off, taken off. And that should never be okay. And that is to be, com that's completely unacceptable. And they shouldn't either be forced to change what they want to study or be forced to drop out of school because some administrator or some politician or some scholar decided that they wanted the money to only go towards certain areas of study. Um, so when they came to school and they, I, I mean, I've heard of there being changes, but usually it's only up to certain classes, like certain graduating classes. I've never heard of it changing right in the middle of someone's academic career. So that's really my, my confusion about the entire thing. Yeah, and I think I look at it as most likely what they're going to put on the list of, you know, non-deserving is it's going to be more art oriented. And I think, you know, not all of us, but I think some of us might end up on that list because we study journalism, you know, who's to say that they're, they're going to want to keep funding that. And I just think it's not fair for them to devalue people's passions. You know, if someone's studying the arts, why can't they really study the arts? You know, I've heard people make the argument, well, if you want to paint, you can paint at home and you can watch YouTube videos. And it's like, well, who are you to say that someone doesn't deserve to get a formal education in what they're passionate about? So kind of piggyback like uh, what you said, like who is to say what, what degree do we choose? And just the fact that like, you know, like people think, oh, this degree is useless. They forget that sometimes the things they get is because of that degree. So like journalism, people are like, oh my goodness, fake news, whatever, whatever. You wouldn't be getting news about the vaccine. You wouldn't get news about hurricanes. You wouldn't get news about politicians without journalism. There's people behind that writing those articles so you can know about the information that's happening. Same thing with biology. There's people that are working with biology, working in medicine. They, you wouldn't be able to know about the medicine without somebody going out there and working with the medicine. Yeah, um, you know, my, I heard, I've always heard stories about, you know, and we hear about or see movies about parents who make their kids go to school to study one certain thing, and that's not what they want. And, you know, they go to school, they study it, they don't want to do it, and then they change their area of study. And so, you know, it, like, um, so I'm from an Indian heritage. So it's, it's quite common to, for people to do what their fathers did. Like my father did what his father, no, did he? Yeah, my father did what his father did. And, um, and it's just, 
you know, it's traditional. I've heard about a lot of people who did do, do that because that's what they thought they wanted to do. And they're just unhappy with it. Yes. I mean, I understand that, you know, nowadays undergraduate majors only mean so much, especially in certain areas. Um, but for some, it, it makes a whole difference. And especially for many, if you're really involved in your undergraduate academic area and excited about it, I mean, that can really push you to go to graduate school and go further into your academic career. Um, I actually got the areas of academia that like, so I was, when I was in college the first time, I was very against the whole liberal arts education. I thought it was, you know, I was like, you know, that's stupid. Why should I have to study Shakespeare? You know, I mean, I, actually I was a musical theater major, so I loved studying Shakespeare, but um, not that he was musical. Um, but, but then when I came back as an adult, like I loved every liberal arts class I took. Like my favorite by far was um, ethics. I loved ethics. I thought ethics was like probably my favorite class I took in my undergrad. And, uh, and just, you know, getting that excitement about learning and having that blossom into what you want to do is means so much. And if these students are stuck taking something they don't want to take in order to be able to pay for school, they're not going to want to do it anymore. And they're just going to end up, you know, like really have an impact on what they do for their careers, whether they want to pursue further education. And I mean, for in my sake, I, um, you know, I came back to school to become a social worker who focused on clinical social work. So to be a psychotherapist. Um, and my professors at FAU in the School of Social Work all seemed to just figure I was going into academia and was going to become a professor. Well, now that's what I want to do because I just loved being in academia so much and I just love learning. I mean, I want to do both. I'll try to figure that out somehow. But, you know, it's just, um, you know, it's just school is such an exciting time and, and it's such an opportunity for people. I just don't want them to want to not be there. Yeah, I found this pretty interting. So President Biden on Thursday, he he's put out a, uh, he talked to the nation and he also put out a, a, a release, but uh, part uh, one of the passages in his thing that he wrote, it, he, where he said, quote, national unity isn't just how politics and politicians, politicians vote in Washington or what the loudest voices say on cable or online. Unity is what we do together as Americans, because if we don't stay vigilant and the conditions change, then we may have to reinstate restrictions to get back on track. And please, we don't want to do that again. We've made so much progress and it's not the time to let up. Just as we are emerging from a dark winter into a hopeful spring and summer is not the time to not stick with rules. Uh, this made Ron DeSantis really, really mad uh, for some reason, even though uh, Biden didn't reference Florida or really even um, threaten a lockdown. He said, I, we, we don't want to lock down. Uh, so Ron DeSantis called a press conference on Friday and he called the reference to the lockdowns, quote, insane and said, we are not going to let him lock Florida down. DeSantis so said, we like the fact that people are able to work here in Florida. We like the fact that we have been able to save thousands, thousands of businesses and save people's livelihoods. But he didn't mention that uh, there's over 32,000 Floridians have died from this virus. So uh, said that he opposes the, the any um, punitive measures because 
a lot of the elderly and at-risk in Florida are getting vaccinated every day. And the most interesting, I think, about the whole thing is uh, he said starting on Monday, Florida residents 60 and older are going to be able to get vaccinated. Previously, it was 65 and older. Um, after that, eligibility will eventually be lowered to 55 and older. And he expects the vaccine to be opened up to all people 18 and older in Florida, quote, sometime in April, which is ahead of Biden's May 1st uh, timeline that he has had. So I wanted to hear what you guys had to say about mainly more of the, the, the first part just seemed like he wanted to be mad for no reason, but um, the, uh, the, the vaccine thing seems like it'd be good news if, we, if everyone in Florida could get it by April. I mean, we'd be ahead of everybody. I think it's really interesting, first of all, how defensive he was, uh, because, you know, I hear what Biden said, and I didn't hear it as a threat. I heard it as, you know, let's be careful so that we don't have to do this, but it didn't, nothing sounded like he was threatening a lockdown anytime soon. Um, so the defensiveness was really interesting to me. Um, and I think you're right. He just wants to be angry. And I think it's a tactic that um, the Republican Party does a lot just to keep people riled up. You know, they have to uh, make it so that there's an issue and they have to give people a reason to be angry. So I think as much as it's like totally unnecessary, it's um, it's on brand. <laughs> And as far as the vaccines get coming in April, I think that would be fantastic. Um, I don't know that we have been the most organized state about getting vaccines out to people. So I'm a little bit cynical about it, but I hope, I hope that's what happens. Like Julian said, his reaction was definitely that he has some level of guilt and automatically reacted like Trump used to and was, oh, they must be talking about me. So he, you know, reacted defensively. Um, uh, actually, I have more to speak kind of around this topic um, in a little while. But, you know, the vaccines, uh, they, I, don't, I agree they've not been handled the best. I think when he said that all anyone needs is a note from their doctor, that was pretty poor planning because basically it, it was going to and did create a free for all where basically anyone just needs a note for mommy that says, you know, they need a vaccine, um, which people were already looking for um, any reason they could find to get a vaccine. You know, he has, he did open things up too soon, I think. And and as, as you guys know, because I mentioned it before, I, I've been someone that's you know, not been afraid to go out in public, but, you know, opening up the bars too soon. And I live in Wilton Manor is just a couple minutes away from all the bars out there. And there is no social distancing in those bars. <laughs> there is no mask wearing. And like my, when my parents were here last weekend, there's a restaurant there called Rosie's that I've taken my parents to before. And they were like, oh, let's go to Rosie's. I was like, mom, dad, you know, you do not want to go to anywhere anywhere you know in my community right now because there will not be masks there will not be social distancing i mean there have been pictures from bars where you know you just see people next to each other no masks anyway um 
I, I do not agree with anything DeSantis has done. Yeah, it's a really interesting point that you bring up about the doctor's note, because in my experience, it's actually been like the opposite. And I'm sure that what you said is totally true for a bunch of people, but it's actually been a, a barrier because um, my boyfriend, he's immunocompromised until so he's been waiting on this note from his doctor. And there's been like so many stalls because the doctor says, well, first you have to get this test and then, you know, and then you have to get this next test. And then these aren't even like allergy related tests or anything like that. Um, so it's actually been a barrier making it even harder for him to get his vaccine, which has been, you know, really frustrating because, you know, he's immunocompromised. So getting him that vaccine as soon as possible is ideal. So uh, it's just, I think the fact that I'm having a different experience than what you said just goes to show how kind of across the board this whole system is and well how how complicated and obscure it is across the board I should say um, it's just a very frustrating experience definitely I, I'd agree with both of you guys um, I, I just um, I the, the defensiveness really was really weird to me from DeSantis because I was like I didn't see all of Biden's remarks at first. I saw what DeSantis said first. So I went on the White House's website and read the whole thing. And I was like, the president didn't say nothing about Florida or Texas or anything like that. And it, it just seemed like DeSantis was, I think uh, what Jillian said was perfect. He, he went up there to, to get, get people riled up, basically. Like, there's no way he's going to shut down Florida, not as long as I'm here, you know what I mean? Or something like that. But I thought it was pretty interesting. And kind of embarrassing honestly but yeah so we are talking about spring break in florida so we were, were hoping that you know the pandemic of covid19 would keep spring breakers away uh, we know as students at florida atlantic university that our school decided to skip spring break and have us get out uh, end the semester a week early but it still did not stop spring breakers from coming um, in Fort Lauderdale and also down in Miami. Um, I've seen pictures of Fort Lauderdale Beach where it's just like any other spring break or any other, you know, peak season where it's just shoulder to shoulder people uh, partying and of course no masks and just spreading germs. Um, now there are some there are some restrictions that the, there is a, a, a club called, um, what's it called? It's not pure or something. It's a club that was known last year to have too many people in, like first, the wharf. Uh, the first night it opened, it had, it went above capacity. And now they are not letting anyone over the age of or under the age of 23 in that is not from this area so no it's purposefully not letting any spring breakers in so i know what the department that the department of health is going for a herd immunity so with that theory you know they're focusing on getting all locals of south florida immunized and away from people who are not residents who may be bringing the virus down here. So they're trying to keep us all together and safe and healthy, um, which I like that theory. You know, it's kind of kind of like the walking dead and like keeping them away. But, you know, I like to think I'd help somebody, but you know, it, it's, 
I, I think it works and um, it works for me. Um, but I actually came in upon this article in the New York Times um, titled, I'd much rather be in Florida. I'll read just like the first couple like sentences slash paragraphs um, real quick and then tell you what I kind of have issues with. So uh, it was written on March 13th, uh, 2021 by Patricia Mazel. Mazel, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, um, Miami. Other than New York, no big city in the United States has been struggling with more coronavirus cases in recent weeks than Miami, but you would hardly know that if you've lived here. Spring breakers flock to the beaches, cars cram the highways, weekend res restaurant reservations have be almost become necessary again. Banners on Miami Beach read, vacation responsibly, the subtext being, of course you're going on vacation. Much of life seems normal, and not just because of the return of Florida's winter tourism season, which was cut short last year a few weeks into the pandemic. Florida reopened months before much of the rest of the nation, which only in recent days has begun to emerge from the better part of a year under lockdown. Live music returned this weekend to the bars of New Orleans. Um, and then let me just fast forward to None of this feels particularly new to new in Florida, which slowed down the worst of the pandemic, but only briefly closed. To the contrary, much of the state has a boomtown feel, a sense of making up for months of lost time. So that's the overall theme and feel of her article, which is basically as treating, I feel like it gives a feeling that all of South Florida and it has been like spring break during the entire pandemic. And I mean, this is a national newspaper. It's huge, it's the New York Times. Um, she even goes and Ron DeSantis is quoted numerous times um, talking about how, you know, Los Angeles isn't booming, New York isn't booming. Um, and then talking about how Florida appears to be booming but it's not because of our deficit and that, you know, that talking about the statistics about who's died in Florida, but just talking about partiers and how, and then DeSantis, uh, a writer writes how there was nowhere better to spend the pandemic than Miami. And, you know, I just don't like how it doesn't paint the picture of, like, we suffered down here too, and we were smart about it. We quarantined and, we were responsible about it. It wasn't a party down here the entire time. And I just think it doesn't put, it doesn't tell the true story of what it was like down here. And that bothers me personally. So I don't know how you all feel about that, but it really bothers me. And I don't think it gives um, the respect to the people who pass away. And I don't think that it, you know, all the troublesome, all the worry, all the troubles, all the worry that we had down here. Um, I find it offensive. So. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, I agree. Um, I don't know. Uh, spring break is a people that come here from out of state uh, when it's not a pandemic annoy me. I mean, if you're if you're from Rhode Island or something, stay up there. I don't, I don't want you here because they, they come down here and they don't respect the businesses. They don't respect the people that live here. They smash things up. You know, they cause havoc, especially down in Miami. Litter um, the beaches. Yeah. Litter yeah, they all litter. over the beaches. They litter on our beaches. They they don't respect, um, you know, 
so but during a pandemic especially man it's just it's not a good look uh and and it, and 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 DeSantis taking shots at like New York and California and stuff and that is just weird to me because if you look at the news especially in places like LA and stuff they've they've done a they're doing a what looks at least to me on the outside a much better job of getting vaccines into arms they're talking about having concerts um and um having people be allowed to go to baseball games outside and stuff as long as you're a resident um and and i don't think that bars are not a necessity they're a necessity for the people that work there i understand that but i mean i i like the idea of you know you can't go into a bar down on south beach unless you're 23 or older and you're a florida resident that would be a good way to like curb this but i think that DeSantis wants these spring breakers. I think he saw dollar signs the whole time. That's why Florida opened up sooner than most and why we had very few restrictions and why the beaches didn't stay closed and all kinds of other things. Um, it's just been totally not a good look in my opinion. And, and uh, you know, like he said that South Florida is like a boom town right now. And if you read Neil's article, I've actually read this article. Um, it's uh, the statistics point to the opposite, you know? So it's like, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I'm I'm really sick of Ron DeSantis, dude. I'm I'm just gonna be honest. I know I'm supposed to be impartial, but every time I see his smug face on the news, I just I get he just makes me angry, man. He is a liar, and <laughs> that's all I gotta say. Yeah, I I don't think that we've been that careful, um, to be honest. And you know, I've spent this pandemic, um, a good chunk of it down here in Miami, and. There is a large population that I've seen of anti-maskers and people who don't want to play it safe and people, even people in the medical field, like nurses and stuff that really just don't care or don't believe in the virus or um, don't want to get the vaccine and think that ma masks are an infringement. And then on top of that, you know, I've like unfriended people on Snapchat because, you know, every other weekend I see them traveling down to Miami and going clubbing without masks. And it's been that way for months now. So I don't think that we're at the point now where people should be clubbing. And we certainly weren't several months ago. So if, if the article is painting it as a sort of, you know, Miami is this happy party city because we're safe and we can be. I think that that's extremely misleading. I think I think it's not safe, but I think people just don't really care or um, haven't done enough research to care. Uh, and it, it's really upsetting. And as for the people who are coming down and partying um, who are out of state, I think it just goes to show the selfishness of it all. I think the people who are kind of neglecting to take safety precautions are selfish in general. Um, going out to bars, um, I find it to be very selfish behavior. And I think coming down from an entire another state is is next level. Because at that point, you're saying, you know, I'm going to go to someone else's community, and I don't care the what impact I have on this community. First off, I never knew you were down in Miami. By the way, <laughs> I never knew that. But um, so I live well, Wilton Manors and Fort Lauderdale is pretty much the same place. Um, but, you know, in Fort Lauderdale, it was, you know, people did like hunker down. I, I was working for when the quarantine first hit, um, I was still working and I worked for FedEx. So I was an essential worker. I didn't quarantine during that big old quarantine where the streets were like had tumbleweeds going down them. I still had to work 40 hours a week and, um, and the streets were completely empty. I mean, 95 was a dead zone. 
and no one would leave their house. No, you know, if anything, people would go buy toilet paper and then run home. And, you know, it, in Fort Lauderdale, people really did hunker down and it was, you know, people didn't party at first. And, you know, you would see this, occasionally you would hear about people doing certain things, but I have not seen my friends since before the pandemic. And then, you know, and I had just gotten married like six months before the pandemic. So I didn't really see him for a while then either. And so like, and everyone just stayed home. So like now, you know, everyone's just like out of touch. So, so here that that's why it was offensive to me is because, I mean, to be honest, like we, I like, I had heard that people in Miami were still doing that, but like as a member of the recovery community, like all AA, NA meetings and all that, they were all canceled for the pandemic. They were, people were doing it online on Zoom. And so there was a huge problem with people who needed help with recovery because just because, I mean, just because there might not have been any um, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous meetings, there were still drug dealers and they could still find that, they just couldn't find any help. And so a lot of people, um, I mean, I like there were people who died. There were people who went back out, and there's a, I mean, there's a huge recovery community in all of South Florida, but you know that that's why it rubbed me the wrong way. Was that, you know, and it didn't paint Miami as a it's safe to go out place. It just painted it as people are doing this anyway, even though they, even though there are all these statistics, and it didn't. I just didn't feel like it's even specified that it was just Miami. It specified South Florida, which is a big area. And so, um, and cause personally, I was basically locked in my apartment by myself for like six months and it was depressing. It was hard. It was, you know, that's why I took offense to it. I guess I just feel like we people here did what they were supposed to do for the most part. Like you said, I mean, like you, I've been hunkering down for the past, I mean, it's almost like been nine, or it's been a year, it's been a year, I've been hunkered down for a whole year now. Um, and I don't really think it's fair. And I think that's part of the selfishness is that there are people who are really trying to stay home and trying to make sure that we take care of this thing. But then there are people who want to go to the club every weekend. So that's just what's frustrating because I, I get it. You know, I've been hunkered down as well and trying to make sure that, you know, we can beat this thing. So it's just frustrating. So uh, this past week, President Biden directed the states to ensure that all residents are eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine on May 1st. The hope is that the time between now and then will allow states to take care of their more vulnerable populations before opening up eligibility to the general public. Biden also acknowledged that just because eligibility will open up on that date doesn't mean that everyone will be able to get it right away. So that's something to keep in mind, um, particularly due to the lack of supply, which he also says the rate of production is increasing. So hope is that that won't be a problem. The administration is sticking by its goal of having enough supply to vaccinate the entire adult population um, in the U.S. by May 31st. So that um, that's a target that I hope that we can make. And I would actually, I would, I would really be really happy about that. I want to see my family again. My dad wants to go camping. Um, 
you know, sometime this summer, and I would really like to be able to do that. So um, I hope that this is a goal that we can reach. It would be nice. I mean, I, I was lucky and got to see my parents last week, and that was, uh, it had been over a year since they had come down here. Um, and it was nice to feel a sense of normal, normalcy. Um, and, to, you know, just because my parents are 75, but they were luckily had both their vaccines. And, you know, it was, it was great. Um, but uh, hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the time span is going to be longer than what I mean, maybe the supply will be there, but, you know, getting everyone lined up and getting the production and the, the manpower to go at the speed that it needs to go will take a while. And um, I'm grateful to everyone who's volunteering to give out those vaccines. Um, I know where I got mine, they were extremely expedient and, uh, and there's really good people out there doing good work. And other than that, I'm actually uh, a little speechless about this topic. So, excuse me. No, I, I agree with everyone. Uh, let's see if we can get to that, honestly. Let's see if we can get to that goal. Uh, you know, I'm sure that not everyone's going to be able to get everything on May 1st, but it's definitely an improvement over when we thought it was going to be June or July. So it's something to be happy about for sure. It's been one year since coronavirus, since like restrictions and everything. And uh, I, I can't believe that it's been a year because it, it really doesn't feel that long while it simultaneously does feel that long. I feel like I've spent, I don't know, hundreds of hours on Animal Crossing more than in the real world. So um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, thank you to, for that game for making me sane. But I just wanted to hear if you guys wanted to reflect on this a little bit. This is more general, but um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I actually remember the the exact day that FAU told us we're moving to remote learning. It was during our spring break week. It was on the Tuesday, I remember specifically. I had, I think, just taken a shower or something. And I got the email saying, hey, FAU is going into like a remote learning, blah, 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 until March 31st. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, we're gonna be home for two weeks doing our stuff, whatever. Not even two days into the remote learning they're like okay no it's gonna be for the rest of the semester and possibly for summer as well and I just remember being home and taking classes since then but I do remember the last like right now I've been going back to my dance studio already for the past month or so but I remember specifically that last moment of me driving back home from my dance studio or from FAU from like the trial I just remember being like I had no idea that was gonna be the last time in over a year that I would be back and even me going back to like to the dance studio was like so weird because I was like oh my goodness I haven't been here in almost a year yeah for me it's really crazy because I was I was actually really fortunate. So Natalia mentioned that, you know, the world, our FAU specifically, but I feel like the world as well, just kind of shut down that Tuesday. And um, 
that Friday, I actually got in a plane and I flew out to see my my dad, my stepmom, and my my sister up in New York. Um, and I came back that that Monday, and I was you know really fortunate I got to be there for my sister's fifth birthday. Um, so she just turned six because that was a year ago. But um, so I got to see my family. I went to Ellis Island. I went to see the Statue of Liberty. I went to the Met, and three days later, it was all closed. Um, and so I look at it as, you know, I'm very thankful that I was able to take that trip and see me and see the people I care about before everything shut down. Uh, you know, here we are a year later. I did, I did not expect us to, you know, still be in this position. And I remember especially, um, I was taking news and news reporting. Natalia, you were in that class. Um, right before everything shut down. And I remember in February, we had healthcare workers come in and we did like a, a mock article and they were talking to us and we were talking to them about co um, COVID and they were like, it's not gonna be a big deal. It'll be fine. You know, if it comes to the US, um, you have nothing to worry about. FAU has a great plan of action. Uh, as a country, we have a great plan of action. And they're like, don't worry about it. And I have been thinking about that interview ever since because I, they really got my hopes up <laughs> that, you know, if something happened, um, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So yeah, um, thank you again to Animal Crossing. Um, I made some good headway in my Pokemon games as well. Um, build a built a couple of new villages in The Sims. Um, I've had a lot going on since then. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Thank God for video games for this past year. COVID was, like, I feel, it's, I feel so horrible now that I felt this way, but, but I was just so disappointed when COVID came about because, because I had just transferred to FAU at the beginning of the semester. And I, transferred to FAU because I was in a distance education program at the University of Alaska and I wanted to have an on-campus in-person class experience to finish up for the rest of my degree and so all I got was half a semester <laughs> and, and now I'm graduating <laughs> so <laughs> and my and my classes basically were it was not a technically an online um, program. Um, I was technically an on-campus student in Alaska because uh, because our classes were like our classes are now with the you know actual Zoom and all that stuff. But um, so I kept like just like hoping and hoping and 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 my my husband will even tell you when when that semester started and he just said that I was. He said that he never seen me more alive because I was just so, I don't know, stimulated or whatever. But even though it wasn't only a year ago, I, I still feel like it was just kind of like a dream. It was just so surreal, especially since like I was out and about every day and, um, you know, just going to work and just hearing about the news every day and look, just like looking outside kind of like I don't know, I was almost waiting for something to happen, even though, I mean, nothing was going to happen. It was a pandemic. It wasn't like a battle or something. But, um, and then it was weird. Like I, uh, I told you guys over chat 
I think a couple of days ago that I had a in-person class and I actually went to campus and by the end of like like halfway through the semester and ended up just being me and my professor that were there and everyone else dialed in. I kept hoping and hoping things were going to get better. And then I think it was when I stopped waiting that at least my well-being improved some because I, it, cause I just uh, I just started sleeping all the time and I got miserable. You know, and I didn't play video games. Maybe I should have, but I started like taking on like projects and I wrote a book with one of our, or a chapter of a book with a professor from FAU. That was my project. You make a really great point. And I, you know, I had a really difficult time um, over the summer, this past summer. I definitely had like a very, like a dip kind of in my mental health from being at home all the time and, you know, trying to find something to do to occupy myself. So yeah, in the beginning there was Animal Crossing and then there was kind of this lull of nothing, um, sleeping a lot. And so we just kind of have to find something to throw yourself in. Um, and that ended up just, you know, you know, I started, you know, trying to find things to interest myself again. And, you know, that's what's been really great about being a part of the UP this semester is I feel like it's really given me a whole lot more to focus on. So that's been really great. Um, I'm also wondering how what it's going to be like when we do go back to in-person because I I was and am in a position where I'm, I'm lucky enough to not have to go out and I can stay home and, and stay safe. So I don't have a lot of human interaction outside of the people that I live with. Um, there's the occasional trip to the grocery store where I can say, yeah, plastic, no, I don't need any help. Thank you. And, you know, get to call it a day. Um, so as excited as I am to start doing things in person again, I think it'll feel like a whole new transition altogether. And it'll be something that I, I have to get used to all over again. I feel what both of you said. Um, um, the socialization thing was was really weird for me for a little bit. Um, and uh, I actually, my first semester, I took the summer off from school because I graduated with my AA. And um, it was, uh, so I, I got that nice little break. But then when I got back into FAU, uh, when I transferred to FAU, I was late getting in. So I could only take three credits. So it almost felt like I wasn't in school. And those were some pretty depressing months, man, honestly. I mean, it was just me sitting with my girlfriend and and really, um, I, I didn't hang out with no one. I didn't do anything. It was probably some of the most like anxious moments of my life, probably. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do anything to like unwind any energy. I gained weight and, and all kind of other things. And um, I used to, you know, I used to love to like get out of class and go down to the basketball court and play for an hour, like every night. And even that was taken away. So it was like, it was, it was some pretty dark days for a while. Um, still working on losing that weight. Um, but um, I'm glad uh, even being in Zoom, like I thought at the beginning of this semester, because this was going to be like my first quote unquote real semester here at FAU, that, that it would suck, that going to Zoom class would suck. But I feel like um, it's really kept people connected. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have probably discovered the University Press or anything without that because I, I figured I was going to look for the newspaper at the school anyway, but I figured I would do it when I went back in person because it's better. But 
then Elliot gave me the opportunity. So I was like, yeah, I might as well do it now. I ain't nothing else I'm doing. So, but yeah, um, it was just, I don't know. I, I feel a lot like a lot of the same emotions that you guys. Did. Yeah, it was, it was a rough couple months. And then, you know, I, I started going back to therapy. That was really helpful. Having someone to talk to, um, making an effort to call friends and family more often. That was really helpful as well. So it was just rough, but there's the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I stopped going to therapy right before COVID after like years. Yeah, I, I had used to go all the time. And then um, I took a break for a, about a year or so. And during that summer lull, I was like, okay, it's it's time to go back. Yeah, it, it was a tough couple months for sure. I felt like, um, and, and and Neil said something interesting. When I when I stopped waiting for things to be over and just started taking everything a day at a time, it got a lot better. I felt like, because um, I, I, we I, when we look back at this, we were so naive. I, I thought I was going to go back to school in a month. And I thought that um, then after that, I was like, I'll be all right in three months. But yeah, you're totally right. And that was a really good point that you made, Neil, because, you know, I didn't think about it that way. But that's definitely what happened for me as well. When I stopped being like, okay, you know, they'll have it figured out in one month. Okay, they'll have it figured out in two months. Um, As soon as I stopped doing that, it definitely made the time go by much easier. It's like flying a plane, you know, stop waiting to get there. Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. (laughs) Pretty much. So this past week, Meghan Marco and Prince Harry had a sit down with Oprah for an interview. And it was an hour, hour and a half long interview that was shortened out from what it was supposed to be three hours long. And in the entire sit down, she talked about how during her first pregnancy, there were, she had suicidal thoughts. There was also how there were concerns in the royal family about Archie's skin color. Now Archie is her first son. And they were also, con- um, Harry and Meghan also felt trapped in their families, this is actually from CNN, among other stuff that dealt with the royal family. So I actually did not get to see the whole entire full interview. I saw clips of it after it had happened. And I was basically shocked about that because I think how could, you know, like, yeah, you're a royal family, there's more higher expectations and stuff, but how could you talk about of your child's skin color before it's even born. Yeah, I guess for me, um, it's really upsetting and everything that, you know, Megan describes going through no one deserves to go through. But I'm also not surprised, especially by the claims of racism. I mean, you're talking about the British royal family. This is an entity that has colonized a very large portion of the world. and done very brutal things in those areas. Um, so of course it's upsetting and of course no one has, no one deserves to have to deal with that. But I'm just not surprised. There are a lot of people who are very surprised by it. And you know, I understand that this is 2021 and racism is not something that should be as prominent as it is, but the fact that it's prevalent within you know, the royal family is just not surprising to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I, I wasn't surprised because I remember um, a year or so, two years, I don't really pay much attention to the royal family um, at all. Um, and uh, the drama really doesn't interest me, but the, the remarks about, you know, the, the racism from the immediate family, that is, I think that is a, a national interest story because, you know, but um, it doesn't surprise me, the allegations of racism, because I remember 
a couple years ago, um, there being like whispers that um, Meghan Markle was never fully accepted because she was black and American. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that someone would worry about the, the color of the baby's skin. It doesn't surprise me, it's, it's, it's horrible. Um, but it doesn't surprise me. I, I think too that they were insinuating that it was uh, his brother that made the remark or something. I, I kind of got that from from the interview because they just said that it wasn't his, uh, I think his grandmother and his grandfather, something like that. But they didn't want to out who exactly said it. But I feel like by not outing who said it, they kind of like subliminally did it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I, I'm not surprised. That's really the only thought I have about it. I don't have, I don't know enough about the rest of the drama, but the whole like racism allegations, I'm, I'm not surprised. The British royal family has always been lily white for literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and, and I don't think that that happens unless it's by design pretty much. So, I mean, England is, is a diverse place. So I also don't think like, watching it back now thinking about like the royal family because I never also paid attention that much to the royal family but I did know a little bit about kind of like little nitty-gritty stuff um yeah it also kind of I was like surprised but I was kind of like mm, okay then there's that's not this isn't something new but then there's also you know um the whole entire Piers Morgan um on the British news show and stuff that also kind of I was like I already knew Piers Morgan was that type of person that didn't really like women, didn't really like um, women being spoken out about, like talking about stuff. Yeah, I hope that she's able to get help. You know, suicidal ideation is nothing to take lightly. So I, I hope that she is able to start getting the help that she needs. Um, like I said, no one deserves to go through any of that. I'm going to be honest and like say I don't follow the royal family. I knew that there was some reason why they didn't like her um and i thought it had to do with race but um i was so um so not up to date with why that i mean she is so light-skinned it confused me i was like i thought it had something to do with race and then and so that's just how i i don't follow them um yeah she's she's mixed yeah yeah that's that's what I when it was on I asked my mother and she was like she told me I don't understand why they're, they're, why people are so fascinated by the royal family um I mean knowing the you know the monarchy in general I and the you know the what would have been a you know a a racy um issue in the in history i it doesn't surprise me that they would look at something like race as something that would cause some gossip or or perhaps not taint but you know shake up the family heritage um but it uh you know no one should ever be treated that way so I guess we are at the end of episode five of the You Press Play podcast. My name's Ataya. I'm the news editor, and we'll see you guys back here next week for another edition of You Press Play News. <laughs> <laughs>